this week on Together for Salem. See, that wasn't the main point of what Jesus did, just to say that, you know, broken relationships can be mended, which they can, but it's even bigger than that. See, the main point of this is Jesus is more powerful than death. That's what Jesus proved. That's what the eyewitnesses saw. Jesus is more powerful than death. And the question is, what are you going to do with that statement? another episode of Together Salem. <laughs> it's this way, yeah. Welcome back, Monica. Yep. Aaron, welcome to our humble abode. We're going to talk to you about just a couple things before we get to our message. Number one. Number one is the welcome form. Yes. So if you're new here, you're watching Church at Home with Cross Creek Community Church. We're glad to host you, but we're doing this from home. So we would love to know that you're watching, say hello to you, say thank you for watching. So the welcome form is a great and easy way to do that. The things on the screen tell you what you can do on that said welcome form. You're gonna be somewhere on the screen. Yeah, and if you're listening on the podcast, welcome in the show notes. You don't have a screen. Check it out. Yeah. yeah. And you have come just in time to catch the last part in our series. It's, it's impossible. impossible. This is part four. Mm-hmm. Part four, believe the impossible. Believe the impossible. It's about Lazarus. And we have some stuff to give away on the back end, so you should come on back afterwards. We'll see you after. John, to you. What do you think life will be like in 100 years? No idea, right? And guess what? It doesn't really matter because you'll probably be dead. <laughs> I mean, whether you... <laughs> Whether you want to think about that or not, the truth is, you're going to die. It's inevitable. It's impossible to escape. In fact, studies show that 10 out of 10 people die. It's guaranteed. If you think about it, death seems like the most natural thing in the world. We all know everybody dies. So why do we fight it so hard? Like, think about it. Every human, every animal, every plant, every microbe fights with everything they are to stay alive. And at least for us, the finality of death, the powerlessness we feel in the face of it, it really only makes death worse. And if you've lost someone you love, you know what I'm talking about. We ask questions about death, like, why did this happen? Or why them? Or why, why is this happening to me? Some of you, and I, it, to be honest, some of you are mad at God because he let a loved one die. And you've probably said these words, and it's okay. How could you let so-and-so, how could you let grandma or my son or my wife or my husband die? God, how could you do this to me? But the truth is, and again, we know this, everyone dies. So why do we fight so hard against it? Why are we surprised by it? Why are we mad about it? If it's just the way nature goes, everything dies, why is it such a big deal? 
The answer is because something in us, there's something in us that says this isn't right. This isn't how things are supposed to be. See, we fight and fear death like it's an, an unnatural horror. We fight and we fear death like it's an unnatural horror. But one of the interesting things, an interesting fact about the first Christians, one of the main things that set early Jesus followers apart from their neighbors was the fact they didn't fear death. In fact, the historical writings that, of people who saw Christians, they weren't fans of Christianity, they weren't fans of Jesus, but they wrote about these Jesus followers. They wrote about the way these Jesus followers composed themselves when they were facing certain execution. And how the way they just were peaceful and confident and even courageous impressed those who were trying to kill them. It made an impact on them. Why were these early Jesus followers like this? I think the answer is they believed the impossible. See, the biographies of Jesus, the, uh, what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are full of hard-to-believe, impossible stories of what Jesus said and did. Things that we've talked about in this It's Impossible series, like healing diseases just by touching people, making paralyzed people walk as proof that he has the authority to forgive sin, even silencing an actual storm with just his words. But the most impossible belief about Jesus is also the most important. See, Jesus' followers believe not only did Jesus die and raise himself from the dead, he offers to do the same for us, both now and forever. See, he offers to bring true, real life to our everyday lives, life that is more than simply just trying not to die. And ultimately, he offers a physical eternal life to those who choose to follow him. I know, it sounds crazy, right? Like eternal life and, and people raising from the dead at the end of time and all that kind of stuff. It sounds crazy. <laughs> but what if there's proof? See, historically... <laughs> uh, <clears throat> hasn't happened in a while. I believe historically there is proof. And John, one of Jesus' closest friends, was an eyewitness to Jesus' life. And when he was an old man, he wrote down a biography of Jesus' life that we call the book of John. And in this book, in this biography of Jesus, he tells about an impossible story that actually proves Jesus has power over death. In fact, it proves that Jesus is impossibly more powerful than death. He's impossibly more powerful than death. Let's see this, this story. In fact, this story probably is one of the craziest, if not the craziest story about Jesus. Hard to believe, I understand, but eyewitnesses saw it. And so here's, here's how John starts his account of this impossible story. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. I know that's not a groundbreaking way to start a story. It starts pretty normal, right? But what John is doing there is laying a foundation that this is a factual story with actual eyewitness proof. He's using people's actual proper names, meaning, hey, you know Lazarus who lives in Bethany? You know Mary and his sisters, Mary and Martha? They're still alive while I'm writing this. 
you've probably met them. Go and ask them if this is actually what happened. When you see common names like that in these biblical writings, that's what they're doing. They're saying, go and ask these eyewitnesses. See, people believed these early stories of Jesus because there were still eyewitnesses who had witnessed the impossible living, and they could go ask them if this actually happened. And so that's what John's doing. He's setting it up saying, go ask these three if this is what happened. And so these three were close friends of Jesus. He would often stay at their house. In fact, he, he would teach in their house. And the brother, Lazarus, is sick. And so his sisters, Mary and Martha, reach out to their friend, Jesus, who just happens to be famous for healing sick people. And so Jesus gets the message that his friend Lazarus is sick, but he chooses to wait two days until going and seeing his friend. And here's, here's how the story keeps going. Then he said, so after he waited two days, he's now talking to his disciples. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. And the disciples always being taking things so literally. The disciple says, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. Like, don't wake him up. Let him get his rest. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told him plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. So, again, crazy. Jesus knows Lazarus is dead somehow. And so he goes to Bethany. He goes to where Lazarus lives. And when he gets there, he learns, or the disciples learn, because Jesus knew, that Lazarus had already been dead for four days. So Lazarus was actually dead when Jesus got the message that Lazarus was sick. And so they go to Bethany, and the house is full of people from all over, from Jerusalem. Bethany is close to Jerusalem. All over, mourning Lazarus' death, comforting Mary and Martha. And Martha hears that Jesus is on his way, and so she meets him on the way to her house. And here's the story that goes on there. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. When she says, oh, he would still be alive if you were here. I, often I would take that reading this, you know, back in the day that she's mad at Jesus, right? But that's not it. She's not accusing Jesus. She knows Lazarus was already dead when he got the message. Basically what she's saying is, if you had been here, because I know who you are and what you can do, you could have healed him. But the way time works and the way travel works, it's, it's too late. And he's dead. But even though he's dead and you could have healed him, even though that happened, I still believe you are God's man. And so he said, Jesus says, Lazarus will rise again. And she says, oh yes, I do believe that. Someday, on the last day, when God raises all of the dead who have been righteous, he will, he will live again. Someday, God will undo death. She had this belief. Someday, he will do this. But until then, we're stuck in this cycle of death. That's not what Jesus is talking about. See, then Jesus says, one, either, depending on how you view it, he says either the craziest thing he ever said, or he says the most powerful thing he ever said. And here's what he says. Jesus told her, I, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. 
that's crazy, right? That's not how we view religion. That's not how we view belief. That See, Jesus isn't saying your righteousness or your goodness will earn you the right to rise at the end of time, will earn you eternal life. He's not even saying that believing the, all the right stuff or doing the right religion exactly the right way will bring you life. He's saying that he, Jesus, is the source of life. That believing in him is the path to eternal life. I mean, look at this. Nobody else did that. No, Muhammad didn't do that. Buddha didn't do that. Joseph Smith didn't do that. No religious leader ever actually made that claim. Jesus is the only religious leader to claim he was the source of eternal life. The only religious leader to claim that he himself, not what he taught, was the source of eternal life. He didn't really leave us room to explain it any other way or to explain it away even. There's no way to separate that statement from Jesus. There's no way to take that statement and be like, well, that was interesting. But, you know, he's a good he was a good teacher. He's a good moral role model who I want to base my life on his teachings. He doesn't leave us room for that. See, either Jesus was telling the truth that he is the source of true life, that he is the source of eternal life, that those who trust in him, even though they die, will live forever, or he's not in his right mind, or he's a manipulative maniac, the likes of which the world has never seen before or since. And Martha's like, yeah, I, I guess I believe that. And so Martha goes and tells Mary that Jesus is here. And Mary comes and says the same thing. If you had been here, he would live but now it's too late. And if, if you're watching and you've ever felt like God was distant when you were hurting, you've ever felt like you shouldn't feel sad, and I know sad doesn't even describe the actual feeling, the, the, the deep sorrow and grief and real hurt you felt, but if you ever felt like you shouldn't feel sad because you believe in Jesus or, or because death is just normal, but you still feel sad when you experience that death around you, and I want you to pay close attention to what John records next. Pay close attention to what Jesus does next. These are details I think only an eyewitness would actually have. But here's what happens. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up in him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. Have you ever been angry at a funeral? Or angry hearing that, that someone you love or someone you know is dying or has died? Like, why them? They don't deserve it. Then you're in great company. Jesus sees this whole scene. He sees the, the mourners wailing. He sees the sisters completely heartbroken. He see, they take him to the tomb. He sees the whole scene, and he is mad. I'd say other things that he is, but this is a church show, so I can't say that. But... It says he is deeply troubled, which is Bible talk for like emotionally done, angry, heartbroken, all at the same time. But why? Why is Jesus angry? Why, is he, why does he weep? He's sad, his friend's dead, that he's too late. Oops, I wish I would have gotten here sooner. I could have done something. No. I mean, we, we see in other accounts that he could have just said the word from far away and healed Lazarus, and he didn't. In fact, he knows what he's about to do. If you're familiar with this story, 
He even told his disciples before he left for Bethany that he was going to come wake Lazarus up. So he knows what's about to happen. So why is he angry? Why is he sad? Jesus is sad for his friends. He's sad that the humanity he loves, the humans he loves, and the humans he created have to go through this horrible thing called death. And he's mad, like irate, at the grip that death has, the fear and the sorrow that death brings to humanity, that it has such a power over his children because he knows what we know deep down, that this is not how things are supposed to be. If you've ever felt that life is not supposed to be this way, Jesus agrees with you. If you've ever felt that life is not supposed to be this way, Jesus agrees with you. And that, I believe, is why we fight death so hard. Because death is not natural. It is not part of our original design. We were not created to die. And I think we're definitely wading into some deep theological territory with this subject. And we can go all the way back to the idea of Adam and Eve and, and sin, how that came into, but I think we can just leave it at this for this episode, is this, that according to the biblical writings, death is the result of sin. That when humanity chose not to trust God, when humanity said, you know what, God, you don't, you don't really care about my needs I, I want to just worry about myself. I don't care what you think. We only worry about ourselves. When we did that as, as a race, the result of that sin was death being introduced to the world, both physical death and spiritual death. See, sin separates us from God, and it separates us from each other. And death, the result of sin, is the ultimate separation. Physically, it separates the soul from the body. But spiritually, sin, the death of sin, separates us from God, where we can't be in that right relationship with God. And if it stays, if we stay separated, we will stay that way for eternity, unless something happens, unless something fixes that separation. And that, I believe, is why Jesus was so angry and so grieved at the same time. But Jesus came to remove the separation that sin created. That's why he came. That's why God became human and came to earth to remove the separation that sin created. Both the physical separation, death, and the spiritual separation. And Jesus is about to prove it. The story goes on. Jesus was still angry when he arrived at the tomb. Like, he is boiling mad. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days in the hot Middle East. The smell will be terrible. I mean, this is a real story. This is real stuff. But Jesus goes on. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? See, with Jesus, even death isn't the end. He's saying it's never too late. With Jesus, even death isn't the end. So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. I think Jesus is funny. <laughs> then Jesus shouted. He's still mad. 
Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man, I think it's a good thing that Jesus used Lazarus's name. Otherwise, everybody in that graveyard would be about to do this. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Unwrap him. <laughs> like, let us see who this actually is. See that it's not like one of my disciples pretending to be Lazarus and come out. Let him walk around. Let us see his face. Let everyone see what actually just happened. Let everybody realize who I actually am. This whole story, it seems impossible, right? Like, I understand it totally seems impossible. Jesus speaking, and this dead guy, who's been dead for four days and probably smells, now comes back to life. It seems impossible. But the thing is, there's eyewitnesses who wrote it down. In fact, if you keep reading this passage, his enemies, Jesus' enemies, the, the religious leaders, they don't even deny that it happened. They just want to kill him because of it. Oh no, all these people are following Jesus because he raised Lazarus from the dead. Not because he made up a story about Lazarus rising, but because he actually raised Lazarus from the dead. All these people are following him, so they won't follow us, so now we need to kill Jesus. Isn't that crazy? I think that's proof that there is evil in the world. And we've seen it all around us our whole lives. There is evil in the world. There's opposition to good and goodness itself. There's an evil in our world that afflicts all of us because there's sin in all of us. And we've experienced it. We've seen it. We've felt it. And every time that happens, something in us says, this is not how things are supposed to be. In fact, the, the religious leaders, the, the evil inside of them, even made them plot how to kill Lazarus so that he couldn't be talking about how he was dead and now alive. Like, read the rest of chapter 11 and 12 in John there. See, the thing is, evil, darkness, sin, death, they are real things. But Jesus is more powerful than all of them. See, Jesus gives a light darkness can't withstand. He gives a goodness that defeats even the vilest evil. And he gives a life that conquers even death. And I think at this point, we could get pretty philosophical and, and touchy-feely. Like, what is the dead in your life that you need Jesus to resurrect? And I think that's well and good, and there's a place for that. But this passage, this impossible story of Jesus is bigger, is better than that. See, that wasn't the main point of what Jesus did, just to say that, you know, broken relationships can be mended, which they can, but it's even bigger than that. See, the main point of this is Jesus is more powerful than death. That's what Jesus proved. That's what the eyewitnesses saw. Jesus is more powerful than death. And the question is, what are you going to do with that statement? Or we could say it this way. What are you going to do in light of the impossible things Jesus said and did? What are you going to do in light of the impossible things Jesus said and did? And I think there's three choices. They're, they're real choices. First choice is you can reject the plausibility of all of this. I understand, right? This, all of this, this whole, if you've seen this whole series or you're just watching this one, it seems impossible, right? That this could actually be true. That God became a human, walked around in the ancient Middle East as a rabbi, raised people from the dead, said he would die and rise again, and then actually did it. It seems impossible, right? That doesn't just happen. But maybe that's why the story's lasted for 2,000 years. 
But you are open-minded, aren't you? Like you are, you're a good open-minded person. You know there's more to the world than we can see. You felt it. And even if that's something you might want to debate, that's okay. At least if you're honest with yourself, can you admit that it's possible there's more to this world than we can see? I think you skipped ahead too soon. Yes. I'm going to start that, that slide over, if that's okay. Okay. So you can reject the plausibility of it all. I understand. This seems impossible, right? The fact that God became human, lived on earth as an ancient Jewish rabbi, healed people, raised people from the dead, and then predicted his own death and resurrection and then pulled it off. I know that seems impossible. But I also know, or assume, <laughs> that you are a, you're an open-minded person. You're open-minded, right? We all want to be open-minded. And I think you know that there's more to the world than we can see. And even if you want to debate that, and that's okay, at least if you're honest with yourself, can you admit that it's possible there's more to this world than we can see? And I know that you might be saying, well, when you die, you die, and that's it, right? When you die, you die. Like, what's life after death? There isn't. It's just you're dead. That's it. There's nothing. Worm food, right? How do you know? How do you know? Well, there's no proof of anything else, right? The science explains the near-death experiences and, the, and all that kind of stuff, right? There's no proof of anything else. But what do you do with the eyewitness historical accounts of Jesus? See, I think Jesus is proof that there's something else. He said he would die and rise again, and then people saw him die, and then they saw him rise again and actually eat dinner with them. So you can reject the pl plausibility of all of this, but I'd invite you just to consider it. Is it even possible that it could be true? And if you're willing to do that, then maybe our th second choice is you investigate the possibility that this is true. Investigate. Maybe it's plausible, but can you investigate the possibility that it's true? I know Jesus said some impossible things, but then eyewitnesses say he backed up those impossible things he said by doing impossible things. And so ask questions. It's good to ask questions, but ask questions to find answers, not just to delay coming to a conclusion. Read the eyewitness accounts for yourself. We call them the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And eventually they got all crammed together into you know, what we call the Bible and the New Testament. But when they were written, they were just individual eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life from certain points of view, from those eyewitnesses' points of view. Read them for yourself as historical documents, as the way they were written. Investigate the possibility that this is true. That's our, and then our third option, our third choice we can make is to finally believe the impossible. See, belief is a choice. It's not just something that happens to you. And belief in Jesus isn't just blind faith. It's a choice made with proof by looking at the evidence. It's not an erasure of doubt but it's an acceptance of the evidence. What would, by looking at the evidence and reading the things and asking questions, what would or should a reasonable person conclude about Jesus? Who do you say he is? He's either, like there's really three options, right? C.S. Lewis, I think, said it best. He's either a liar, he's out of his mind, or he's telling the truth that he is God. And so we choose to believe the impossible. That might seem impossible, but the proof adds up. 
We believe that Jesus died and rose again to forgive sin, to erase that separation between God and us. We believe that he has the power of life. And if you choose to believe that, then tell him. Tell him, Jesus, I choose to believe. Looking at the evidence, I choose to believe that you died for me and that you rose again for me to give me new life. Forgive me of the the separation I've caused between me and you and, and me and others and make me yours. I want to follow you. Tell him that. And then trust that you are held securely by him. Trust that if he gives you life, he will not take it away. And maybe you've told him a long time ago that you want to follow him and you have been a Jesus follower. Well, it's still, t- it's still a good reminder that we need to trust that Jesus has the power of life. That our death is not the end. It's really only the beginning. And that we can enjoy this new life. We can celebrate that Jesus brings us life. And by celebrating it, we can share it with others that they can enjoy this life also. That they can actually have life from the one who gives true life. Jesus. Life. True life. It's what we were made for. We weren't made to die. We were made to live. We're made to live a true life that we can experience now and enjoy now and experience forever in eternity. And I know it might seem impossible, but the proof shows that an ancient Jewish rabbi claimed to be the source of that life. And then he proved it by raising himself and others from the dead in front of witnesses who then recorded what they saw. In Christianity, Jesus following the way exploded in its first 200 years across the Mediterranean world, partly because Jesus followers believed the impossible. That God became a man, that he died that he rose again and then promised them eternal life. And then they expressed that belief by living a life of impossible peace and confidence. Because true life is possible when we believe the impossible of Jesus. True life is possible when we believe the impossible of Jesus. And so I wanna end this series with Jesus' question to all of us when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's a wrap. It's impossible, all wrapped up in a tidy bow, or is it? I liked what John said about investigation, Mm. investigating, and asking questions. That's what we're here for. So this is, you know, church at home. You can watch it with your friends, watch it alone, watch it with loved ones, but you can communicate with us. There's a place to ask questions on the welcome forum, and it's a great way to start a conversation. So if John said something during this series or in general um, that makes you think about something or causes you to think about a question you have, that's what the welcome form is there for. So check it out. 
Uh, and next week we're starting a new series, A Logical Love. Illogical. For February, which is very- Totally illogical. Very appropriate for February, A Logical Love. So What's be sure- in February again? I feel like there's something- Something important. Important. Or is it? I don't know. You can get Day? me. You can Maybe. give me a plate of nachos for Valentine's Day. How about that? Valentine's Day! Oh my gosh! Yes, we're gonna do some giveaways here in a second. Yes. But first, speaking of February, our good friend Donna yes. is going to introduce to you. We're gonna introduce you to Donna, and Donna's gonna introduce you to you the For Salem February opportunity. Yes. So Donna, and then we'll come back. This Donna, for a minute. Go, Donna. Go, Donna. So at Cross Creek, um, one of the things that's really, really large in our hearts is um, being a part of the foster kids in our community and their lives and helping them. And um, a lot of children that go into foster care sometimes don't even have uh, luggage or a suitcase to take their belongings with them as they move into foster care. And so our um, February for Salem Challenge is to donate uh, luggage or duffel bags. Uh, maybe it's something that you already have in your closet, or uh, maybe you wanna go to the store and buy something. And we will be collecting donations for luggage items on um, Sunday morning, February 21st, and on February 28th on Sunday at our drive-in service in the afternoon. So there's some more details up on the screen, but uh, we would love for you to participate and just show those kids uh, that are in foster care that are going through a really, really hard transition time that you are for them. Thank you, Donna. Excellent. I have an opportunity. I feel like I just want to take it, which is great. I'm going to take that opportunity. Yes. Uh, speaking of opportunities, we have the opportunity to give away this week, yes, a gift card to GovCop downtown. Where That's right. You can get a delicious cup of coffee or maybe they have little pastries you can have. Those are all good things down there. This week's winner is Whoa, that surprised me. Never know. Tamara, Aww, congratulations. Tamara, congratulations. You win a GovCup gift certificate. So enjoy yourself downtown. And man, their coffee's good. That's right. With the old school grind, or I'm the roaster. roaster down there. Yep, it's beautiful. It's really cool. It's a beautiful machine. Yeah. What are we giving away this, this week? This week we're giving away a gift card to just around the corner, Ritter's. Oh yeah. Thank you to a um, generous donation for this one. Someone donated this gift card. So awesome. um, if you want to see a business uh, given away, a gift card given away, you can donate it to us. That's, That's one way to true. do it. But we're happy to give away a gift card to Ritter's. I love Ritter's. So the way to do it is social media. There will be a post. You can also email us. Uh, we've had a couple of those this week, so thank you to those entries. Yep. Uh, but usually, you know, like a Monday or Tuesday, check the social medias and you'll see the giveaway. Yeah. It's really easy and you usually just tag a friend. So this week is Ritter's downtown. Awesome. Pretty great. Good spot. It is a good spot. Yep. So that's it for us. Uh, we want to let you know again, there's kids stuff on the website, always for you. We update it every week. Um, you can donate to Cross Creek uh, Community Church. We are 501c3 here in Salem. We are for Salem. We are for you. Mm -hmm. um, we believe that God is for Salem, so we are for Salem. That's what we're about. Uh, but you can donate if you feel led or if you have the desire. Uh, there is a place for that on the website. Um, so don't, kids, donate yeah, and connect it's groups. it's tax deductible. Tax deductible. The connect groups are not. They're but not. they're amazing. <laughs> Because you can actually have community with other people right now, which is incredible. Yep, Think and about necessary, that totally. Overthinking. Just one second. Did you? Now I am. Okay. Lots of thinking. Yeah, you can let us know if you're interested. We can get you a group. So that's it. Yeah, thanks for watching. Thank you. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Yes. Next week, Logical Love. 
very excited. Exciting things. Some day of February. And something's going on in February. Bye! Bye. No, that's true. This series. It's no. for everybody. It's like Salem. It's for lovers and everybody. Oh, I've never heard that about Salem. Did it record? No. Oh, why? What? Oh, it did. We're good.